Insider, a podcast covering some of the latest trends and things to know in cybersecurity. This podcast is sponsored by Variato, which is an award-winning employee monitoring and insider threat detection software provider. So to learn more about how Variato can help protect your company, check out variato.com. I'm Dr. Christine Zwakor, your host for today's segment, and we're covering the topic of navigating cybersecurity tool fatigue and picking the right comprehensive threat detection solution. Now, there are over 1,200 security vendors, at least the, the last time I checked, that exist today with a collective of over 20,000 features. And so there's always a new and shiny object out there trying to help companies in the war against cyber threats. As you can imagine, that tool fatigue can become a very real thing in this climate. Um, and so, you know, of course, like one organization can invest in tons of different solutions, right, to try to reduce this risk, everything from the basics like antivirus um, to more, you know, niche options like ransomware prevention, employee monitoring, and so on. Um, I'm a huge fan of simplicity, though, and so it's like as much as we can invest in everything that we need to, sure, that's great, but how can we do that in a way that, that makes sense and that simplifies uh, things who wouldn't want that. And so that brings us to this main question, right, of how can you pick that right comprehensive solution uh, and do it in a way that simplifies things and avoids tool fatigue. Now, before I get into deep, I'd like to introduce our uh, guest speaker for today's podcast, DJ Singh. Um, he's currently a senior cybersecurity architect within the US Department of Government Affairs, where he leads a team of experts in offering tailored advice to senior executives on key cybersecurity decisions and initiatives, covering everything from long-term cybersecurity road mapping to evaluating vendors to prototyping solutions and so on. So super accomplished IT professional, over 20 years of experience, um, also holds a, a, a CISSP um, as well as a business degree in electronics and communications. So wealth of experience and insight here with us today. Super excited to dig into this. DJ, we are honored to have you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Izzakar, and thank you for the very generous introduction. Uh, I'm, of course, I'm just learning, just like uh, despite my experience and so on, cybersecurity is such a huge field, and we just have to be on our toes all the time. And thank you for the invite, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Again, super happy to have you and can't agree more. I think that for all of us as professionals, no matter how long we've been in, in this industry, we are always continuing to learn and grow because there's always something new uh, going on. And so um, I know I, I gave a, a bit of an introduction. But is there anything else you want to add? Maybe start by, you know, giving us a little bit more about your your, your background and journey thus far. So uh, unlike traditional security professionals, I did not start in IT. In fact, I do have uh, an experience developing products, consumer electronic products, mobile phones, and devices. Early on when we were developing these, there was a trend, increasing trend of connecting these devices to the internet. That's when things started going a bit haywire. Imagine if there's a home theater system and then you decide to connect it to the internet. What could go wrong? Back in the early 2000s and late uh, 90s, 
this wasn't much of a problem because hackers were kind of not as prevalent as they are today. But soon we realized that uh, this is going to be an issue going forward. And that's when I got introduced to the concept of application security. So I started off in application security first, making sure that all the web interfaces that the products have are secure. So you have all kind of basic things like what we now know as uh, OWASP top 10. We went through those. There were no such frameworks back then. So we learned by making some mistakes, learning on the fly and finding solutions as we went along. Eventually I ended up working as an enterprise architect, which uh, allowed me to sharpen my skills on IT systems in general. And one of the things we noticed is that security was a constant issue back then. So during my stint as an enterprise architect, uh, I was tasked with, or uh, most of my consulting engagements were with clients who were trying to bring in mobile devices and open up their enterprise systems to the web or to the mobile. Biggest roadblock was of course security. How do we make sure that our data is secure on these mobile devices? How do we extend the enterprise identity and access management to these new devices? So that set me thinking and got me more and more involved and interested in security. So that's how I ended up being a security architect. I'm very happy that I took that decision and stepped in the right direction. This continues to be a very exciting and challenging uh, field. And there's lots to learn, lots to do. And at the end of the day, you feel very satisfied with solving clients' business problems. I agree, super impactful work. And thank you so much for sharing that background. Um, now to kick things off, can you start by giving us your take on what tool fatigue actually looks like and what effects can it have on organizations? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. In fact, uh, you rightly mentioned there are thousands of vendors selling their products and so on and so forth. Even a small mid-sized company, uh, if you walk into the security operations center of that company, you'll find at least 45 different security tools vying for attention, right? So tool fatigue typically means that someone really needs to open up 10 screens to look at one incident, right? So maybe there was an intrusion detection system which threw up an alert, then the SIEM system had something else going on. Then there was something on with the firewalls, and then you guess there was you know tens of lights bleeping all over the place. How do you tie them together, right? Uh, in fact, one of the key problems that a security analyst working on any security incident faces is a whole deluge of data. There's an alert fatigue on top of the tool fatigue, so it's kind of very stressful to very quickly narrow down and find where the problem is. And there's a reason why there's a tool fatigue. One of the things is that cybersecurity uh, and cyber attacks in general are evolving very rapidly. Legacy tools at times just cannot keep up with the newer techniques that keep coming up. Traditionally, all the cybersecurity controls have been based on signatures, which means that known threats uh, so if, for example, there is a known threat from a bad set of IP addresses that gets uh, implemented as a rule, and these security tools 
take the necessary action either by dropping the traffic or by uh, shutting off the device and so on and so forth. But newer attack techniques, uh, things like, for example, uh, fileless malwares, how do you handle that? So these traditional tools can't help over there. That's when newer companies jump in. There's, there's uh, in the last two years, there's been hundreds of newer vendors who have AI ML driven tools, and they promise to deliver some of these issues very well, and they solve those problems very well. So what happens is companies end up investing in these little tools, which to begin with, don't look like super expensive, and they do uh, solve some point problems. So now we have about 50 tools solving point problems. Some, there could be a tool for phishing management, there could be a tool for fileless malware, there could be a specific tool for a specific set of devices and so on and so forth. Eventually, it becomes a mess. That's when security architects get called in to clean up the mess. Looks like we have too many overlapping controls. Most of the tools pretty much do the same thing. So what's going on? So as a security architect, we look at the bigger picture. We start with looking at what the vulnerabilities are. What are the inherent weaknesses in the organization? It could be technology weaknesses, which are, for example, known bugs in, let's say, if you're a Microsoft shop, so known bugs in the system. It could be misconfigurations of security tools. It could be the way certain business processes are implemented. So we also have to look at those areas. Based on that, uh, we try to prioritize which is the most impactful of these weaknesses and do we have the right kind of security controls and tooling in place to cover those weaknesses. So that's what we do. One of the things that we have noticed is uh, to reduce the amount of alerts, we can look at traditional data quality practices. Can we refine the data? Can we put some filters in place? Can we look for specific keywords to narrow down our search? The answer is yes. And that's where threat intelligence platforms jump in. Now, a threat intelligence platform typically is forward looking rather than looking at what has happened in the past. So there are agencies, there are product vendors who gain these kind of insights via various means. For example, someone, uh, some could have some, uh, probably looking at the dark web, that's where all these kind of trades happen. They can come up with, okay, here's a new toolkit or an exploit kit being sold out in the dark web. So this toolkit is probably targeted at financial institutions. And typically we've seen these toolkit has a certain type of IOCs or TTPs, indicators of compromise, tools, techniques, and procedures, right? Then the, there is a framework called the MITRE ATT&CK framework. So using a combination of these things, organizations can figure out what the tools, uh, what, what the exploits are out there in the market, what is expected uh, to be, for example, what are the kind of threats that they can expect because of this new uh, actor? And what are the actions that they need to take? For example, if it is a new variant of a malware or if, if there's a new exploit kit out there, uh, 
that means that we need to start looking for specific patterns using uh, the MITRE framework as an example. Uh, and basically that's how it really works. So we look at threat intelligence platforms. Even these products have been out there for a couple of years now. This is no longer a new uh, shiny object. In fact, vendors have figured out that uh, just selling a standalone threat intelligence platform probably won't work because there's still a whole lot of integration to be done. Increasingly, companies or vendors who are leading the pack have started integrating multiple solutions into one. Uh, threat intelligence platforms are now packaged under a wider category of products called SOAR, right? So of course, uh, these are uh, security orchestration, automation and response tools. So what they do is they integrate with existing uh, security controls, security processes to help make sure that there is an end-to-end -end solution right from uh, detecting newer threats to refining the threat down to priorities. And once the threat has been prioritized, giving a very actionable advice, the guys, this is exactly what needs to be done. And this could be, for example, uh, a set of prioritized alerts for manual intervention. It could be a set of commands for the next uh, generation firewall to block a set of IP addresses. It could be uh, some set of commands to the XDR kind of controls to pretty much contain and isolate an endpoint and so on. Yeah, nice. So very uh, uh, comprehensive view and, you know, set of recommendations, everything from, you know, I've, so many different things were, were popping off in my mind around like the alert fatigue is very real, right? In addition to the tool fatigue, I think the role you mentioned, the role that machine learning and artificial intelligence can play in kind of that getting better insight from good data, right? And tying into threat intelligence. I think that's huge. Um, and so, um, oh, and then also you mentioned looking at not just what has happened in the past, right, but also using that data to predict some of the things that are coming up in the future. So a lot of really good points. Um, this next question, you've kind of touched on it already quite a bit, um, but if you can summarize just so people have a tangible thing to, to take away as well. Um, so as someone who, you know, has experience with advising executives on new products and solution investments and things like that, what does the selection criteria look like to ensure that the best solution is, is selected? So if you could think of those, you know, that top three or top five considerations, how would you summarize yes, that's that? That's a very valid point. In fact, that's these decisions are hard to make because each product or solution pretty much looks very similar to the other. They all claim to do the same thing. And some of them throw in some additional jargon for effect, for example, you know, they'll say that we have a better machine learning model. The question that I ask is, so what? So what, it might may sound like a simple thing, but then how does it relate to my environment? The first thing to look at is, especially in a threat intelligence platform, is the quality of data. What is the quality of data that they are going to be sharing? Where are they sourcing this data from? Uh, how relevant is that data to my industry, right? For example, if is it too broad-based? Should I be worried? Maybe not. How recent is the data? So typically what happens is that uh, all these threat intelligence vendors, they collect tons of data, then they need to 
curate that data, collate that data, process that data, and give some relevant actionable information. Right? So we have to look at all these aspects, how actionable the data is. Are they providing data in a format that can be consumed by my security controls? So there are typical standards around that. Of course, all vendors provide that. The Stasi and Taxi and MISP, and these are some standards. Uh, then we also look at whether these platforms offer integration and APIs and SDKs and so on. How easy is it to integrate these things? Are there any out of box integrations for common tools like Palo Alto Networks or Splunk or so on and so forth, right? So traditionally these uh, good tools already have these out of box integrations, which means that you'll be spending less time on professional services and getting to getting these tools to work faster. Uh, other things of course are, uh, are these tools ready to be integrated to the workflow management processes? So we already have, for example, integrations with ServiceNow. Do they do that? Are there any dashboards that can be used? Or do the teams have to learn yet another tool and yet another workflow of that tool? So there are various aspects that we have to look at. Finally, we also have to make sure that these tools also offer some kind of playbooks, right? So if there's an incident, what is the what does the playbook look like? Do, do people have to figure out a new way to fix things or is there a ready to use template that they can use, right? So all those things matter a lot. And of course, uh, we have to see uh, the longer term perspective. Is that company offering the tool financially stable? Is it a startup which is going to vanish in two days? Does it have enough uh, set of uh, users and so on? How strong is the community support and things like that? And of course, things do come down to uh, business at the end of the day. What are the pricing options? Is it a one-off fee? Is it based on per users? How good is the support? Are they going to cost me an arm and a leg to maintain this, right? Uh, is it based on API usage? Is, is it based on data usage? There are several models and we have to pick up one. And of course, increasingly, uh, there are also products which are cloud-based and as a service, which could be a good start, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for that. Again, a, a lot of really good points. So we have about a minute left here. I'm going to try to squeeze one last question in and maybe we can do like a rapid fire response on it and any final thoughts. So um, how do you combat sort of what I think people call like shiny object syndrome and like there's always some new tool that's out there that seems to answer every question. And so a, a, a quick, you know, rapid fire, like how do you combat that? Yes, that's interesting. So uh, we continuously keep looking at newer uh, tools and things like that. And there's a good reason for doing that. Uh, the uh, best way to combat is to have a vendor bake off, have them run prototypes in your environment. So there could be a machine learning model, which is the greatest, but then has it been trained on the kind of data that is really there in my environment versus uh, an idealized test environment and some kind of a very specific test data. So maybe the model works in a demo, it doesn't work so well on my environment. So, so the best way is to actually run POCs and then to bake off. Yeah, really good point there. Hey, DJ, thank you so much for all of your valuable insight and contribution to the conversation today. This has been great. Um, that concludes this episode of the Variato Insider Podcast. 
This was brought to you by Variato, which is an award-winning cybersecurity company recognized by Gartner and more. Uh, their solutions are anchored around four core pillars of cybersecurity, including employee monitoring and web filtering, insider threat detection, uh, workplace investigations, and ransomware support. So to learn more about how Variato can help protect your company, check out variato.com. Thanks again, DJ, for joining us. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Of course. And uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in. I'm Dr. Christine Zwakor, the CEO of Cyber Pop-Up, and it has been our pleasure to share these insights with you. So until next time, stay safe and secure, insiders. Mm -hmm.